Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 99 of Yoga Land. I'm pretty sure I messed up in the beginning of the conversation with Jason on this episode and said it was episode 100. It's not, it's episode 99. I got ahead of myself, I was excited. But this is a great episode with Jason, and we focus on Pinchamayarasana. So a few episodes ago, we answered your handstand questions, and this time we answer your Pinchamayarasana questions. So they kind of range from more beginner questions, how do I even get up, to more advanced questions, how do I balance? Sometimes I can balance, sometimes I can't balance. If you have a question that you'd like to submit, you can always send it to support at Jason Yoga. I can't guarantee that we'll answer it, but it will be read and added to our list. I wanted to mention before we begin the interview that if you want to hop on our newsletter list, you will get updated for any new dates that Jason has for teaching around the country and around the world. This year, he's still got a bunch of teacher training modules. He's doing two advanced modules in San Francisco, a foundational 200-hour training in San Francisco this fall, and then he's traveling to Hong Kong in the winter to do some advanced teacher training there. And then, of course, there are always workshops. The workshops, workshops, workshops. So I will be heading with him to Ohio this summer. He'll be teaching in Cleveland, Ohio, Detroit, Michigan. He's also teaching in McCall, Idaho this summer, then heading to Washington, D.C., and then he's heading to Europe. And I'm trying to figure out a way for him to bring the family on that one. So we'll see. If you want to check out the schedule, you can check it out at jasonyoga.com slash schedule. I think I already said this, but if you want to get on our newsletter, you can go to our homepage and subscribe there, jasonyoga.com. Okay, enjoy the interview. Hi, Jason. Yo. I'm not exactly sure, but this might end up being episode one hundo. Ooh, all right. Big yeah. pressure. Yeah, definitely. Big pressure. A lot of pressure. Big pressure. You have to do a good job. I'll do my best. I have my LaCroix here. Oh, I can't do that. That's like an ad. Nope. But I was just thinking, I was wondering why you don't have one, because if it's episode 100, it's like a celebration. You know, I'm from the Midwest. I don't actually like to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because because look, here's the thing: if you celebrate, that's just a setup for a letdown at some other point. So true. It's so true. It's so true. You always gotta be prepared. That's right. Yeah. Gotta think ahead. That's right. About these things. That's right. All the disappointments. That's right. <laughs> okay. Let's get down to business. Yep. We're gonna talk about Pinchamayarasana today. Forearm balance, also known as forearm balance. Yep. Again, as I said in the last podcast, which we did, we did a Q&A about handstand and then about being tight in yoga class. We're answering the questions where we've, we've gotten like a crowd share yeah. of these questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not alone if you are the one. Actually, you are. If you can't do forearm balance, you are, you are the only one. You're one of the, I'm not even going to. I'm no. not even going to make a joke about no, that. No, you're not you're not the only one, of course. The vast majority of the world cannot actually do forearm balance. Okay. So for the first question, I did not notice when I you wrote it down so that the person has the cutest Instagram name I've right, ever seen. Raisinets Superstar. 
That's cute, I guess. That's adorable. That's pretty cute. So Raisinette Superstar. <laughs> asked, I'm like, I'm now I'm imagining one of those little Raisinette guys doing a forearm All right. balance. That would be hard. Asks. The sort of the <laughs> so, weight to strength ratio in those things would be pretty tough. So maybe that's why this person has this question. I've been trying to learn how to get up and into Pinchamayarasana, and I could use any advice and tips you have to share. Certain things are, I almost said certain things are difficult to do over the phone. <laughs> but you know my my like dinginess has been incredibly full force, full force. It's, I, it's sort of your nutty professor side i guess i it's hope so sweet little nutty professor okay so this is hard to describe but there's a pose that i call headless headstand and it is essentially shirshasana one not tripod headstand okay shirshasana one without the head on the ground mm-hmm and to me, this is the first place to start. You start at a wall with your elbows on the floor, elbows on the mat, shoulder width apart, fingers interlaced, okay? So you're making a triangular base with your elbow, forearm, and outer wrist and back of hand. And you're starting to come up as if you're going to do headstand, but your head's not on the ground. So you make that setup. You take the knuckles really close to the wall, and then you you create a strong base. You strongly press. So you're in dolphin. Uh, that's another way of just like, okay. it's, it's, you're in dolphin Come pose. Come into dolphin pose with your knuckles at the wall. Yeah. Well, with your knuckles like a tiny bit away from the wall. Yeah. Right? And then you walk your feet in a little bit until the shoulders are over the wrists. Not over the wrist. Shoulders are over the elbows. Okay. If the shoulders are over the wrist, you're going to be Gone putting too a, far. Yeah, you're going to be putting a, your head through your drywall, which you don't want to do. Okay. <laughs> um, so the shoulders are over the elbows. And then you bend one leg and keep the other leg straight and you swing and hop up. So this is sort of, I mean, it's best learn with someone there that can help you with it, or it's best learn with tutorial one of my tutorials online on yoga glow or something like this but i think that this is the best thing that i can suggest for learning forearm balance is not to start with forearm balance it's to start with essentially an inverted dolphin pose with your head off the mat the thing about forearm balance that can be really tricky for some people for most people actually, is keeping the forearms parallel to each other because of the stressors that are being transmitted through the shoulders. So when the elbows are shoulder width, but the hands are actually interlaced and together, it's way easier to get upright and to stay upright than it is when your hands are separated and the palms down on the mat. If you think about like a weight supported frame, you know, If I take my right hand and my left hand and I interlace them and together I press the outer wrist down, that is a much stronger, more stable frame than if my hands are separated and individually pressing down into the floor. So creating that strong base with the fingers interlaced is key. So so this this is first. That's the first step. You have a question or a comment? Uh, My question was just, does it require, yes, it requires less openness in the shoulders way less well. openness in the shoulders it's not even less openness in the shoulders it's it requires less skill it requires less skill in the shoulders so the thing about shoulders and pinch myrasana which i know is another sort of segment that we're going to tackle um is the shoulders don't they don't just have to be flexible 
They also have to be really strong. And where they have to be strong is the sort of idiosyncratic place, okay? And the shoulders have to be really uh, not just strong and flexible, but skillfully engaged. There, there's, there's a lot of technique to how to actually engage the shoulder girdle when you're doing forearm balance, right? So it's not just about, oh, my shoulders are flexible. Oh, my shoulders are strong. No, it has nothing to do with just those things. We actually have to know how to engage muscle groups mm-hmm. in a specific pattern. Okay. It's sort of like thinking like this. It's like thinking, oh, I'm going to be able to play golf and swing and hit a ball and I'm going to be able to hit the ball really far because I'm strong. Well, no, actually, it has nothing to do with just one of those things. It has everything to do with understanding the technique that's actually involved, the skill that's there. Got it. So that's the first thing is I think that uh, Raisinets 2000, what is it? Raisinets Superstar. Superstar. I think you got to start there. Get a feel for that. And then listen to the rest of what we'll talk about in this episode. And it might fill in some other blanks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would actually say for people that struggle with handstand, this is another good option for handstand. Because it gets you upside down. It's a strong, stable base. You're closer to the floor, which is actually a good thing. Okay. And there's no stress on the wrists. And also for people that have hyperextending elbows or carrying angle elbows, this totally takes that out of the equation. Mm -hmm. So if you're struggling in a handstand, work on this. And it gives you the exact same benefits. And you want to make sure that your elbows are not too wide, right? That would be shoulder width apart. Yeah. And sometimes people measure shoulder width apart by holding their opposite elbows. Which I just want to say is not an accurate like measuring such device. Such a pet peeve of yours. It is it's so adorable. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally okay. I am not kidding when I say this is like the first time when I was your stu- student, which yes, there was a time when I was Jason's student at Yoga Journal. Uh, it was like the first time you ever just did your thing where you just called me out. You're just like Andrew, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I was like, I'm setting up for headstand. You're like, can you not do that, please? <laughs> <laughs> and then you like walked me step by step, like through how, when you do that, then you open your hands, one elbow's in front of the other. And I'm like, dude, I can take my elbows even into line after, you know, once I get them under my shoulders. There's probably, I'm willing to bet 98% of our listening audience is like, wait, that's not how you measure the arms? It's Fine. Okay, we. I'm just gonna say that we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one. Imagine measuring your arm. Imagine. <laughs> imagine this. Imagine if our five and a half year old daughter, on her own volition, created a ruler and was like, "This is one inch. This is two inch. This is three inch. This is four inch," and then I use that to actually measure the base of something and said, that's accurate. It's not accurate. It's related to nothing. <laughs> so that's why it's a pet peeve of mine. The, the distance between your elbows is related to nothing having to do with the width of your right and left glenoid fossa. Look. Nothing. If that makes you feel comfortable emotionally to give yourself an elbow hug, do it. It makes me feel better. <laughs> totally. There you go. But just on the inside say... Now I should also just look down. And if I look down, I will see if my elbows are shoulder width apart because they're right there. You'll be able to see them. How'd you get in my head? 
I like don't you know, just man. totally got in my head with that description. Yeah. Yes, I feel better doing it, and then I look and check and make sure All it's right. right. That's and that's I legit. I still do it. It's an OCD thing. I defied thing. you. I defied you from your very first personalized instruction to me, Andrea. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and we made it through. And that's when we fell in love. I'm just. And kidding. made it through. No, it isn't. This is not. It is not. <clears> not. <throat> we did not fall in love in the other room. Okay. I was gonna say one more thing. Oh, you know the other way that I was introduced to headless headstand is for people who don't like to do headstands. Mm -hmm. That's also a good alternative. I think you should be able to do it before you do headstand because you want to be able to have the strength and the skill and the awareness to fully support the weight of your body with your shoulder girdle before you put weight on your neck. Right. There's just no doubt about it. So, yes, totally. So th- th- this is actually one of my favorite inversions. Hmm. Good to know. It's a great pose. It's a really good pose. Okay. The next question, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this one. Essentially, this person feels like when they go up into pinship, they are relying too much on their lower back. So my interpretation of that is they kind of- Too much too much sway. Yeah, too, too much, much dumping in the lower back, kind yeah. of like the banana. Yeah. How can she avoid that phenomena? So it's hard. Like this is something that everyone has to work to manage, Okay. I'm never trying to make my lower back straight. I'm not trying to make my lower back flat. The lower back has a curve. So we just have to take into consideration that we're not looking to straighten the lumbar spine, but we don't want it to curve excessively. And the reason we don't want it to curve excessively, especially when we're upside down, is because when the lumbar spine curves excessively while we're upside down, the gravitational force that is pressing on the body is putting the weight of the pelvis and legs into the lower back when the lower back is in an excessive curve. So it's just, it might be a little bit of excessive compression. Yeah, right? you, so, can so kinda, it's not, you can kind of feel it. Yeah. Because it happens if, to me if I'm not careful. Exactly. So the first thought is usually, well, more core. But actually, I think that should be the second thought. And the first thing to understand is that the majority of people who have excessive lumbar curve and forearm balance, it's because the shoulder joints are not flexing enough. So the curve in the lumbar, the excess curve in the lumbar is almost always a secondary response to insufficient shoulder flexion, meaning the arms aren't going back enough. The, the shoulder joint isn't elevating enough. And so if the shoulders are restricted, and this, I, I hate using super technical language, but me, I have no choice Let me just jump here. in yeah, for one please. second, just because I still get shoulder flexion and extension confused if I'm not yes. really thinking about it. So flexion is when you are raising the arms overhead. Correct. Okay. So down so when, dog, handstand, and forearm balance yeah. are shoulder 
flexion. It's flexion of the glenohumeral so, joint. Right. So in other words, like when you, if you put your hands, uh, arms in front of you, bend at the elbows and have your forearms um, perpendicular to the ground, like you're doing the way you position your hands for forearm balance. Or dolphin. Or dolphin. we talked that, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that when you bring your arms overhead, yes, they're not going far enough. They're not back. flexing deeply enough. They're not going far enough back. Yeah, and understanding shoulders is unbelievably complicated. Shoulders are so much more complicated than sacroiliac joint, than hip socket, than knees. All these things. Shoulders in yoga, I think, are one of the the most challenging and therefore most technically misunderstood regions of the body, right? I mean, it just is. Shoulders, shoulders, there's a lot to unpack because each shoulder has four joints, three true joints and then one pseudo joint. And then those joints move in just very idiosyncratic ways. And also there's a lot of misunderstanding and incorrect teaching around what the shoulder blades do when the arms elevate. The shoulder blades are not just simply pulling down when the arms elevate. It's much more complicated than that. So yes. So the bottom line is, let's say you're doing dolphin or down dog or forearm balance. If the shoulders are restricted in those particular motions, then the lower back tends to compensate. Mm -hmm. The shoulder joint isn't flexing enough. And so the lower back joints overextend. Mm-hmm. They, they, they compensate, mm-hmm. right? That's the most often case. So usually what needs to happen is we need a more, we need both a little bit more openness in the shoulders, a little bit more specific strength in the shoulders. And then we usually need a little bit more of a detailed understanding of how to actually work the shoulder, the arm, and the hand in forearm balance. And those things tend to take care of the vast majority of excess lumbar curve. It's also helpful when you have excess lumbar curve to engage the abdominals a little bit more. The abdominals are a full ring. They're a full circumference. So to be more clear on that, really the part of the abdominals you're trying to engage are more of the anterior abdominals, okay? So your obliques are going to be working as a family. Your transverse is going to be working as a family. And your and your rectus abdominis is going to be working a little bit as a family. And I'd say another thing too is think about lifting your butt up. If your lower back, right, if your lower back is collapsing or you have excess curve, your butt is dropping down. Your belly and ribs are pushing forward. Your butt's dropping down. So lift your sacrum, lift your butt, lift your tailbone to the ceiling and draw the front ribs into the body. Yeah. And inner legs can help too. Totally. Like for me, it's... We'll post the infographic. Okay. We have a pinch myrosina infographic in sequence we can tie into this. Okay. On our site. Great. So you might get into this in the next question, but... I want to, so the next question is from a person who says they've been working on the pose so long in the middle of the room. Sometimes I have it. Sometimes I really don't. And that's from Dorothy Shaw. Welcome to life, Dorothy. Yeah. But one thing that you said in the last, in the answer to the last question was, you said something like, it requires specific shoulder strength. Yes. So I'm wondering if that applies to balancing the middle of the room as well. And if you can talk more about that. So I have another pet peeve. Actually, you know what, Andrea? You know me pretty well. How many pet peeves would you say I have? 
In yoga? No, in life. Not many. Really? You're not a pet peeve kind of. I guess I'm not. Maybe I've gotten, maybe I've matured a little bit. Well, it's hard to, you are, you know, like everyone, you are a I'm nuanced exact, animal. I'm nuanced and I'm exacting in the things I'm nuanced and exacting with. Yeah. The things that I'm not, I'm pathetic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was saying this in class the other day. I was like, because uh, I think I demonstrated an arm balance and someone's like, oh. And I was like, you guys, you have no idea how many things in my life I'm mediocre at. Like the majority of the things that I do in my life, I'm totally mediocre. I have a really good mind and a really good skill for specific things. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, I, the, and but the reality is the majority of things that most of us do, we're just sort of average at. I think most people are like that. Yeah. Oh, I think I think almost everyone is like yeah. that. But, but, yeah. th- but that's totally okay. So, but the things that I'm exacting in, I'm exacting because I know that it matters. Like I just know that details matter. And I'm going to give the details in a moment. But I think another thing that's happened, I think two things have sort of, many things have happened as I've gotten older and I've gotten sort of more seasoned with being a teacher and and training a lot of teachers is one, I'm actually a lot more relaxed about many more things. And two, I've really come to loathe the idea of working hard with indiscretion. (laughs) <laughs> like indiscriminate hard work is a joke. Yeah. You know, like it's just a joke. It's just, it it's just a doesn't. Waste. It's, it's, it's a way of, it's a, it's, a, it's like a waste of energy. It's such a waste of energy. Yeah. And it's so, it's just to be quite honest, it's antithetical to the teachings of yoga. It's totally antithetical to the actual teachings of yoga, which look much more at regulation and economization. Yep. So here's my thought, which is, in the poses that that are by nature, handstand, forearm bounce, the poses where by nature, the nature of the pose, you have to work hard. Like, I don't want you to work hard indiscriminately. I want you to work hard with the skill and the understanding, not just so that it is safe, but so that it's efficient and efficacious. You know, not all hard work actually generates the desired outcome, right? Right. So that that's why I get sort of pet peevish and exacting with it, right? So a couple things. One, I think the reality of balancing, the, the actual nature of balance is fleeting. You know, like we go, we we come in and out of balance. Like I tell my students all the time, like balance is not an address. It's not a fixed address. It's not like I got balanced in yoga or I got balanced in this pose and now I'm always there. It's fluid. It's dynamic. It's always changing. And in order to balance, you have to be continuously responsive. And sometimes we're really good at responding to situations and sometimes we're not really good at responding to situations. So I would say that there are very few people who in handstands, more so in handstand than forearm balance. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is balance is elusive. So if sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't have it, I think that's the norm with this with this nature. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there are three specific shoulder positions that I like to work for forearm balance. Actually, four. Okay. So the first thing we've already talked about. I like to do essentially the version of forearm balance where your fingers are interlaced your elbows are shoulder width, and your head is off the ground. This is a really good way of working the pose. 
it's actually really hard to balance in. I was going to say, at the, it's, only no, no, at the wall. Yeah, at right? the wall. It's okay. super hard to balance in. But I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking sort of four positions to really understand how the shoulder girdle works, how your base works for these poses. So that's one, but that's a really hard balancing position. Okay. Two is palms not facing down, but palms facing up. Okay. Palms facing up with a block between the outer hands and wrists. The reason that this is so valuable, this is hard for people to balance in. Unless you can balance in the pose easily, then it's easy. But when the palms are facing up, your forearms are externally rotated. And when your forearms are externally rotated, it's much easier to engage the external rotators of your shoulder joint. So it's much easier to, when the palms are up, you're externally rotating the forearms. It's much easier to engage the external rotators of the shoulder joint and minimize the slippage of the elbows side to side. Okay. The thing that you really want to think about for the base in forearm balance, it's not just what's touching the floor. It's actually the ball and socket. And you want the ball to be very strongly tethered to the socket when you go upside down. And so by rotating the palms up and engaging your external rotators, which help comprise the rotator cuff, you keep stability in the shoulder socket. And that to me is a huge overlooked key. This is something that back in the day, um, I'm sure he still teaches it this way, but I learned this like so many things from Richard Rosen. And we would just do so many different variations of forearm balance. And this was one we did every time we practiced. And I think it's one of the reasons that forearm balance is such a, an accessible pose for me. So you have palms face up and a block or two blocks next to each other if you're broader. Oh, wow. Not end to end, but side to side. Oh. Huh. Yeah, because when you have a broader shouldered person, and more muscular and or more restriction in the shoulder girdle, especially in flexion, a block is actually can be really narrow. A block can be way too narrow and it doesn't give people enough space to work with. And so it stresses their shoulders. So for people that are a little bit broader, I like to take two blocks side to side and that is just slightly wider than one block end to end. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it works that's really, great. really well. Yeah. It works really well. So palms face up, that's the second version. Now, the thing about that version is that almost always makes people scared and squeamish. And the reason why is your, your fingers are not on the ground, so you don't have control from the fingers, right? And when you don't have control or the sensitivity that the fingers give you, you're going to feel a little bit lost, but I guarantee you will work your shoulder joints better than ever. And this for so many people is the missing link. This is something I teach pretty much every weekend workshop that I teach. If I include inversions, I teach this and people are totally freaked out about it, like totally freaked out. And then they do it. And I'd say at least half the people in the room are like, oh my God, that that totally changed, that one thing totally changed everything else about that pose. Hmm. The third way is holding the sides of the block. 
So in this situation, the forearms are neutral and you're actually holding the sides of the block and gripping it. The thing about gripping it and you're wrapping the fingers around the back of the block and squeezing the block. So the thing about this is that when you're holding the block and squeezing in against the block, that helps the elbows not slide out because it's in, it's it's actually helping to engage pec by squeezing in it's it's you're engaging pec which is slightly balancing for the shoulders given their tendency for the elbows to slip out to the side because if the elbows slip wider than the shoulders your base is gone you have no pose right so that good squeeze in and then to me the last version of the pose to learn is palms down hmm. because palms down gives us the greatest amount of mental security and the greatest amount of sort of information from the fingers, but the least amount of shoulder joint control. Because palms down, you're internally rotating the forearms. That tends to push the elbows out. In fact, everyone that's listening, if you're not driving, okay, or in a crowded place, do this. Pretend that you're going to do forearm balance. So actually pretend you're going to do just like sitting down or standing up. Do handstand. You have to do it with me, Henry. Do handstand. And then bend your elbows like you're going to do forearm balance, right? And then so your palms are facing the ceiling, right? And then now just the just the forearms rotate the palms so that they face down instead of up. And what direction do the elbows pull? They pull in. Now, rotate the forearm so the palms face up. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And do it again. Turn the palms so they face down. The elbows go in. Yeah. The rotation of the hand has a strong effect on the shoulder joint. So the interesting thing to me about this is, if we still have any listeners listening to this, right? The interesting thing to me about this is, the palm down version of forearm balance is the most mentally comfortable And it gives us the most amount of information about where we are in space through our hands because our hands have that contact with the ground. So it's mentally comfortable and it gives us a good amount of information. But that's the worst position for the shoulders. It's really hard to learn that position in the shoulders. The elbows splay, the upper arm internally rotates, the shoulders collapse, the lower back goes into excess curve. If you do it the opposite way, the palms facing up, it gets the least amount of mental comfort. It's the least amount of information coming through our hands, but it's the greatest amount of shoulder stability. So play back and forth between these things. It's how you actually really learn the pose is you don't just do the thing one way forever. Mm -hmm. You know, you play these four different things regularly and experiment with them. And then, and then over time, you bring them all together. So then what about strength? What parts of the upper back and shoulders need to be strengthened? And then what poses can people do to reinforce those actions of the shoulders? Yeah, I would say it's really the same stuff that we talked about in handstand. I mean, we'll talk about it again, but same stuff we talked about in a handstand episode, right? Your shoulder girdle needs to be strong. The external rotators of the shoulder girdle, which are two of the muscles within the rotator cuff, need to be strong to help the elbows not slide out to the side. 
your deltoids, the, the sort of relatively large shoulder muscles need to be strong. I would say those are the big ones, but you need just balanced upper body strength. I don't think you need massive strength. I think you just need like somewhat average to low strength for the pose, but you need good base. Mm-hmm. You you need you need one of these four positions that we're talking about and you need to work them very regularly. You need to push the ground away from you. You know, like this is a this is a weight-bearing exercise that I think that many yoga practitioners can learn to do. I'll say this. If you can do a decent down dog for a minute, you have the strength to do forearm balance. There's there's no doubt about it, right? I mean, you might not, you know, make the cover of Time Magazine's yoga issue in your pose, but if you can do down dog for a minute, you have the strength in the upper body. There's no there's no doubt about it. And then all of the arm overhead poses are really good preparations. Down dog, dolphin. I like to teach warrior one, Anjaneyasana and high lunge with the fingers interlaced and the heels of the hand. So arms behind you, not fingers interlaced behind your back like you usually would, but you take the arms up overhead, bend the elbows, interlace the fingers, and then take the heels of the hands to the back of the head so that your upper body is in the shape of essentially forearm balance or headstand just so that you start to build some repetition and familiarity with that. I've been teaching in my classes for a little while in all my classes, inverted staff pose, Viparita Dandasana. And this is something I'm including a lot. Like the whole enchilada? The whole Viparita Dandasana? Not, not, not on a chair. Like in no. the middle of the room. Oh, that's such a hard pose for me. To me, it's just a, it's a more valuable pose than Ordhvatanyarasana. The barrier to entry is slightly higher, but not much. All right, not much. I need to let just me set you, me No, let me set you up into pose. it. Yeah. You haven't had me set you up into in a, it a long, long time. time. Yeah. But you, I looked at you, you were practicing the other day and your Ordhvatanyarasana looked good. If you can do straight, if you can straighten your arms in Ordhvatanyarasana, you can do Viprita Dandasana. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're going to make this a yoga land challenge. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So those are the things. To be honest, I don't think you actually need to do that many special things. What about uh, like forearm plank? Yeah. Let me think. If you were going to do forearm plank, I would say forearm plank is going to build the help build the abdominal strength and awareness. And it's going to help build some of the scapular strength, especially with the serratus anterior, which is also a part of all arm overhead poses. When you do forearm plank, if you do forearm plank, don't lean on the forearms. Press the forearms away from you. You know, I, I say this with my students all the time. Don't lean on the ground unless you're doing shavasana. Push, drive through the ground. If you're doing shavasana or a restorative, lean on the ground. Become the ground. Fall through the ground. But if you're doing an active pose, don't lean on the ground. The ground is the only source of physical resistance that as yoga practitioners, we get to press into. It's the only thing we have because we don't use apparatus, right? We don't use bands. Right. We don't use weights. We don't use a reformer. We don't use a Cadillac. We don't use all these things. The only thing that you have in an active yoga practice to really activate your systems, your muscular systems, is the ground. Use mm-hmm. it. 
Mm-hmm. Push it away. Yep. Feel it and push it away. Yes. All right. Okay. I think that's that's a good that's a good go forth foundation. Yeah. For people. It's a good pose. I like forearm balance a lot more than I like handstand. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. I love them all. Good for you. I'm just in a really positive. <laughs> good. Take it. Take it. <laughs> I love them all except Viparita Dandasana. We'll report back on that one. I'm not sure you will like Viparita Dandasana. I am convinced you can do Viparita Dandasana. All right. Okay. Next time I get on the mat, we're going to do it. Okay. Done. Okay. All right. Thanks, Jason. You're welcome. Okay. I hope that answered all of your burning Pinchamayarasana questions. I'll put all the links to the different Pinchamayarasana related blog posts that we have on the show notes page, which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 99. Have a great week, you guys. Enjoy your practice. I rode across the windswept plain.